Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're having a phenomenal day. And today we're going to talk all about ERP, Exposure Response Prevention. And I invited Dr. Martin Shaw to come and have a chat with me to spread his wisdom and for us to talk together about what ERP is and why it's so important for kids with OCD. So Martin is a licensed psychologist and he's the clinical director at CBT SoCal. And CBT SoCal is a group practice. They specialize in treating people with anxiety disorders, OCD in various forms, as well as CBT. And they also deal with trichotillomania and a whole bunch of other issues. But he has agreed to come on here and share his wisdom on ERP. Um, I found him really funny and informative and very knowledgeable in talking about CBT and ERP. And I think you're going to really enjoy our conversation. I really enjoy talking to him. So before we get into my conversation with Martin, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the AT parenting community as a whole. So I am busy brewing up a new online class for how to handle difficult behaviors in kids with anxiety and OCD because their behaviors are very different than our other kids. And sometimes we don't know how to handle those behaviors because all the typical parenting approaches just are not working. So if you are interested in getting on the wait list for that class, it's an online class that you can take at your own pace. It's going to be coming out in June, but people on my wait list are going to be the first to know, and they're going to get a special discount for the first 48 hours. So you can join my wait list by texting 44222 and just type in the word, one word, AT behavior, and I'll add you to the list. So also, one more thing before we get into Martin's interview, if you are not following me on Instagram, that's my new passion, please follow me. You can follow me at Anxious Toddlers. I am doing weekly IGTV episodes, so if you want to get a quick tip, a quick five-minute video from me separate from the podcast and my YouTube channel, that's a great place to go. And also, I am covering the 30 most popular myths in childhood mental illness for May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And you can do your part by following me and sharing my myths. I'm coming out with one new myth every single day. It's also on Facebook, so either way, you'll see them. Okay, well, without further ado, here is my interview with Martin. All right, well, I want to welcome Martin to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we are going to we're going to dive deep into ERP, exposure response prevention. Um, it's one of my favorite topics. I'm and sure it's something you talk about a lot here. No? It is. And a lot of people have questions about it because I think not enough people out in the world are talking about it. So yeah. before we get started, can you tell people a little bit about your background? Yeah. So I'm a psychologist uh, in the state of California. I'm practicing in the Los Angeles area, specifically uh, with a group private practice. We're called the Cognitive Behavior Therapy Center of Southern California, or CBT SoCal. And uh, we have our, I practice mainly in our office in Glendale, California. Um, and we have another office in the Torrance area for anyone who's familiar. Um, and yeah, so our, our main specialties, obviously, we you know specialize in, <clears throat> in cognitive behavior therapy and apply that probably 
I'd say two thirds, maybe 70% of the people that we help were dealing with some kind of anxiety disorder, be it panic, social anxiety, phobias, generalized anxiety, health and illness things. Um, and then most specifically, OCD is kind of what we're known for a lot in all forms. So obviously we're, we'll talk about that. Um, and then um, we also uh, help people with, with sleep problems and insomnia. So oftentimes people don't, aren't aware that um, there are actual very specific behavioral things you can do that are very powerful and can have a positive impact if people are having uh, insomnia. Uh, you know, the, the pockets that fund the marketing dollars behind medications for sleep run really deep but uh, there's a lot of things that you can do um, without taking meds people don't know that so yeah and we'll definitely have to have you back on the podcast to talk about that because that's a really good topic sure uh, we all have to sleep so sleep is kind of important I'm, yes. I'm a beast when I don't sleep and when my kids don't sleep it's not pretty so yeah that's definitely yes. a big issue I can relate yeah <laughs> so let's let's dive into ERP exposure response prevention um, for some people may not even understand what that is. So we'll just, we'll take a very simplistic view of what it is first. Sure. Um, yeah, well, um, ERP exposure with response prevention. I mean, uh, people may have heard for, you know, even if uh, they haven't dealt with OCD or don't know someone who has, but have taken a general psych class or something at some point, but exposure basically just means confronting something that is causing anxiety or fear. Right. Um, so for people who are afraid of heights, we sort of have to be able to put ourselves in a position to confront that fear and then realize that maybe what we're afraid of isn't going to happen or realize that we can tolerate that discomfort until it becomes tolerable and, and not even an issue at all. Uh, people have heard of fears of flying, of specific situations, animals, social situations, what have you. And it's a similar thing as Talking about it is helpful to a certain point, but at some point we have to expose ourselves to those situations to really relearn that, um, sort of take, take the power out of it, if you will. And the RP part, the response prevention in RP means uh, the tendency with OCD is we have these unwanted thoughts, intrusive images, ideas, um, fears, and uh, uh, what we call obsessions, right? And the compulsion is any effort to ritualize or you know, decrease that discomfort or anxiety in some way, which really isn't helpful in the long run. And so um, if it's a checking compulsion, if it's someone who will, you know, flip on a light switch on and off a number of times, uh, wash in a, spe in a specific ritualistic way, um, those things tend to grow. And so response prevention means we've got to coach people to kind of cut those back and ultimately hopefully cut them out um, because that's ultimately what it's about. Yeah, that's a good that's a good definition to get a snapshot of what it is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people will see a cognitive behavioral therapist and they'll they'll say I'm getting CBT, mm -hmm. but then when you ask them are you getting no we're going to talk a lot about acronyms. It's like a if you're getting are you getting ERP, mm -hmm. they're like no, I asked my therapist, my therapist said no, I'm just doing CBT. <laughs> right. So what's the difference with all these letters, right? Yes, yeah. <clears throat> I actually have a, I have a colleague who is actually pretty critical of, <laughs> of CBT, which I think is funny, but he calls them TLAs, three-letter acronyms, right? <laughs> DBT, ERP. But, uh, but it's a good question because sometimes we forget as professionals, like we know what we're talking about, but, you know, for the, for the layperson, these are foreign terms. Um, cognitive behavior therapy or CBT, I think of as sort of 
a broader sort of more umbrella term under which ERP sort of is one subset or specific application of. And I think how I would think of it is CBT cognitive thoughts, the behavior therapy, it's a form of therapy. So um, the, the main idea behind CBT is that if we're dealing with an unwanted or uncomfortable symptom, a problematic habit, um, some sort of any sort of emotional distress that that is learned in some way from our experience or our environment, um, trauma, etc. Right, and in turn, if it's learned, that means it can also be unlearned. Right, and so we can help people unlearn those things and change those things, change those habits, decrease symptoms by dealing with how they think, what they believe, what habits they have, what behaviors. Um, or maybe sustaining and reinforcing a problematic way of um, interacting with the world or with other people, if you will. So that's a very broad brushstrokes uh, sort of way that I think of cognitive behavior therapy. ERP, and now, so you can see how that would apply to all sorts of things, depression, chronic pain, anxiety in all forms. And, um, and that's also to set it apart from sort of what sometimes people call traditional talk therapy or psychoanalysis, which is, um, you know, traditionally a little bit more uh, long-term, um, and especially in the old days. And it, the focus is much more on what happens in therapy between the two people. But with CBT, we're really like, that's important, absolutely. But at the same time, we're, we're really trying to give people skills, tools, and a, a model so that they can be applying things and practicing things and doing things in between meetings with us to kind of keep the process moving faster. Um, ERP, as we sort of say, exposure with response prevention is, I would say, a subset of CBT or behavioral therapy where, um, and that's more specifically tailored to people with OCD, right? Because the exposure is to confront the obsessions and bring those down ideally, but you have to do that in tandem with the RP or the response prevention, which addresses the compulsions because otherwise if you do one without the other, you know, progress can be much more limited or slower, if you will. Um, so, yeah, that's a, a good distinction. Cause I think some people will argue, I mean, I just, I see a lot on my, like my Facebook group. So I see a lot oh. of parents talking about these things and um, I, I see some people saying, Oh, you know, you, you can't, you don't want to give your child CBT, they need ERP. <laughs> you know, so they're kind of confusing that CBT, you know, that ERP is a subset of CBT. Not that it really matters. Yeah. But I think also I see, and this kind of breaks my heart, I see a lot of parents, I don't want to say wasting, but kind of it is, wasting a lot of money in yeah. therapies that just won't work for OCD. Right. So, and that's why I really wanted to get you on here and tap into your expertise because a lot of times people will ask about other modalities um, yeah. and I wonder if you can talk about why those are not effective and, and what modalities you think people should not pursue when it comes to OCD. Right. I mean, you know, really the gold standard in the OCD sufferer and treatment and research community as backed up by, by study after study is ERP is exposure with response prevention. Now that's not to say that, the, that, I mean, I should back up and say that, you know, I think any effective good psychotherapy for emotional distress has some similar elements to it, right? I mean, you have to have, you have to allow someone to feel comfortable. You have to allow someone to feel heard. You have to, um, you know, create an environment in which the person dealing with distress 
uh, feels like you know what you're talking about and that you have a plan and a model for how to help them. And, and that's not unique to OCD. Um, but I think a lot of people uh, think that the temptation with OCD, I should say that is like, oh, you know, well, it's, it seems so illogical. Like you're a smart person. And so you say you're dealing with OCD and, you know, you, but then why would you, if you're so smart, why would you be dealing with these fears of contaminating um, your house and getting your family sick? Like you, you, you know, better than that, you're a high functioning person otherwise. So the tendency can be to want to rationalize or kind of change the way of thinking or sort of out logic OCD. But the challenge is, is generally the person with OCD knows that, right? For the most part, they just have this like, what if, but what if I'm wrong? These doubts, this little OCD wants a hundred percent uncertainty. And with ERP, you know, what we find is that talking and trying to reason with OCD will, it can get you to a certain point, but ultimately we can get in loops. And really what's more important is experiencing something different on purpose. And so if I'm that person who has developed a very, uh, you know, rigid and, and complex and ritualistic hand-washing uh, ritual, um, but then I s try to cut that back and stop doing it, that's going to be uncomfortable for me, but then I'm going to at least have the chance to prove what I mostly already know, but I'm just so afraid of testing. And so um, I don't know if you or people in your community are, are you know, basketball fans, um, but, you know, we're Laker country here. Um, <laughs> tough times for the Lakers, but you know, LeBron James is our big star right now. And uh, he always says in, I, I actually love what he says after post-game interviews, he says, experience is the best teacher. Uh, and that's obviously in one context for him, but it's totally true for anxiety and for, for OCD where, you know, you can talk till you're blue in the face and try to rationalize that you're wrong. Um, and you can, in all other forms of therapy, as you were alluding to, there may be an element of increasing insight and discovery and, sort of more of an organic process. And that's not in and of itself bad in, in other situations, but with OCD, you have to be targeted. You have to be directive and concrete and kind of challenging people, not just to think differently, but to have to do something different to kind of align what they know with what they think, if you will, or what they really know from experience with what they mostly believe but have questions about. Yeah, and you bring up That's a really right. good point because I like the way you said, you know, they're intelligent people. I mean, the kids that oh. I work with are are normally highly intelligent. Absolutely. And, yeah, and I think that that is the that is the quicksand thing that happens to therapists that maybe don't specialize in OCD who have good intentions is you approach it like any other problem that comes into your office, which yep. is fine except for OCD because right. even the child knows yeah, I know that no magical fairies are going to come out when I tap three times to keep my family safe. I get that intellectually. I'm not doing anything to keep them safe. Right. But I still feel like I have to do it just in case. Just in case. Yeah. So right. I think when you, when you start to rationalize, over-rationalize, and that's all you're doing, mm -hmm. you're just basically feeding the OCD, which is kind of counterintuitive to a therapist and even to a, a, I mean, and especially to a parent, right. where we feel like we could just maybe rationalize them out of this and you probably can for almost any other issue, for sure, even anxiety. Right. But with OCD, well, just in case I'm going to have to wash anyway, you know? It, it, is, know. it is. You never, you never know, right? And, and the, in some ways, that's true, right? I mean, it, the, for someone who doesn't deal with OCD, we, don't, we take for granted that we tolerate a lot of uncertainty every day. 
right? And people yeah. say, well, what if I, did I hit someone when I drove around the corner, I felt a bump, so I better drive around just to double check in my car. Or for, you know, uh, you know, I had a teen, I have teens that say, you know, oh, I heard this bad story that happened in the news, and so I've got to make this specific kind of clicking noise or say something to kind of get rid of, you know, the bad feeling I have from that, you know, horrible story. And, and because otherwise maybe it'll come true or maybe if I don't do it, you know, then I'll feel responsible for it. Right. Um, but, uh, so it, it, but there's a recognition that it's not logical per se. Yeah. So, um, and I think that that is what the trap, the unique trap of OCD is versus someone who, you know, is dealing with more like a psychotic process or a delusion, they may actually believe it. And so they're not motivated to change it. But the person with OCD has distress because they know, like, no, this, this can't be right. And I know this, but, but I'm just fighting myself. There's a sense of conflict. Um, and you're right. So the, the to an otherwise very well-meaning and well-trained uh, therapist who, doesn't, who ha- doesn't have the expertise or training in OCD can get that wrong. And that's uh, very concerning, can actually make it worse. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's why I always say, look for an OCD therapist, at least, you know, look for someone who says they work with ERP can be really helpful. Yeah. So let's get into what ERP would look like with kids and certain issues. Um, I know like in my practice, and I don't know how you are, probably the same. I spent a lot of time initially, well, not a lot of time, but I spent some time making sure the parents know what we're about to go into. Yeah. So that they don't, you know, think I'm crazy or report me to the board, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> right. you're going to have them do some weird things. They could be like, who is this lady? Right. Yeah. Like, why does she have like a satanic Bible in her cabinet? That's weird. You know, and she's got fake cigarettes. That's bizarre. Mm-hmm. So, and a knife on her desk. And, and <laughs> oh, my cabinet is scary. It's yeah, scary. My Amazon uh, order list is very scary. I always joke with parents. I think if Amazon like tracks their orders, they're probably going to report me to someone <laughs> because they look. <laughs> really weird. Right. So how do you prepare parents for like what ERP is going to look like? I mean, I think I'd say some similar things that you and I have already been talking about, which is that in, in, in a, this is going to sound weird, but in a sense, reassuring them that um, just because your child is having these thoughts doesn't mean that's, it's an indication of an actual impulse or an actual desire that they may actually act upon. Now, to the actual person, child or whoever who's dealing with the OCD, I will say that, but I won't harp on that too much because that may be reassuring and feeding into the compulsion. But for the parent, I think it's really important that they understand that. And that's if you're asking their kid or even them to be part of the treatment, but right, um, to do the thing that they're afraid of or to purposely say something that in any other context would sound completely horrible or (laughs) immoral, um, right. It's going to be like, that makes absolutely no sense. Like there's no other context in which you would purposely <laughs> in a, we're supposed to be treatment providers. We're helping someone get better. Why would you have my son, um, say that they're glad someone died in a shooting. Right. And, and even sometimes it's like, I've, I've had people do that. And like, part, part of me still feels like, like <laughs> I am uncomfortable with it. And yet I know you have to stick with that because that's part of the treatment um, is to, is to have them pretend that they're a bad person or deal with the bad thought or actually think something harmful or mean to someone else. Or I even, you know, I've had people tell me to, you know, 
bleep off to my face and tell me I'm a horrible person because they're like, oh my God, no, but I would never, I, I don't mean that. I'm like, I know you don't mean that, but <laughs> tell me just because you say it and just because you think it doesn't make it, doesn't make it real. And that's an important case to make to both parents and, and the kids. And I like to do that conjointly. Sometimes it's helpful to separate depending on the age of the kid probably. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to use you to, to just bust a lot of myths that I get. Um, so I'm going to go through some of them because yeah. you're bringing up some good ones. So I will often hear parents say to me, um, I'm okay with my child being afraid of saying bad words and being afraid of smoking and drinking. So why would I want to expose them to something that, you know what, I'm okay that they're, they're morally concerned about this. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, well, because I would imagine at that point, if they're coming in to consult with you, it's not so much about the moral issue. It's that it's causing them distress. Yeah. Right. I mean, OCD can manifest in an infinite number of weird, unexpected, intricate ways and right can latch on to things that are sexual, that are very remote, that are moral, religious, that are relate to people that they don't even know. Right. And um, and, and so that that can be that can be the sort of interesting, but also the tricky part. But what's universal in all cases is that the thoughts are unwanted and that are causing distress and that at the compulsive or ritualistic or just mental um, efforts to reduce the distress are not working and are probably just feeding into it. And so, um, you know, that's what I would focus on is like, okay, you, you might be glad that in, in a situation like you described that, you, that your child has a strong moral compass or sense of justice. That's great, by the way, I won't argue with that, but, um, the, the way in which they're interacting with a certain situation or thought is causing them distress that's unnecessary and not helpful. And that's more what I'm interested in. If, if it's not, then great. We're probably not here talking about it. Yeah, that's yeah. a good distinction. You know, it's the distress. Yeah. It's the distress. And it, it's training the brain to live with that discomfort for a yeah. little, little period of time. So I, I like the, the way that you explain it. Mm -hmm. You also brought up something really good that I forgot I was going to go back to is um, that uh, telling the parent initially that, that giving them the reassurance that this is OCD. And that's, mm -hmm. that's such a good point because for some reason I'm inundated with, with kids who have moral OCD. It's just one of the first themes that tend to pop up. And so I feel like I see that more than almost anything else for some reason. Maybe they just find me through like something that they saw about moral OCD. I have no idea. But everyone's heard about the lady practicing in Arizona with a satanic Bible. And so that, <laughs> they're like, we have to go that, see her. That gospel has spread, apparently. <laughs> it has. And they're like yeah. coming in droves. It's bizarre. Right. But a lot of times with moral OCD and with other OCDs too, but I see this a lot with moral OCD, that the kids will tell the parent, I don't think this is OCD. I think I really want to hurt you. Or mm. I don't think this is OCD. So it's like the, the intrusive thought is the doubt that it is actually OCD. Right. Oh, right. It's like a, it's like a, a layer of OCD upon the original. OCD. Yeah. It's like one of those picture frames where there's a picture inside the picture. Right. And, so, but then I have some parents who will buy into that and mm -hmm. they'll, they'll get really concerned in my session or out of my session. They'll say, I don't think this is OCD. I mean, she says she really wants to do this. Right. So, right. so th this would be a perfect example. And usually, you know, for those of us who have, have worked with this kind of situation a lot, you, you can kind of suss out pretty clearly up front, right? Whether, whether it is or isn't, because again, it's causing them distress. Yeah. If, if, if this, if, you know, whatever child it is, is like, yeah, I hate my parents. They're the worst. 
they're oppressive. They don't let me do anything. They're like, I'm going to run away as soon as I can, whatever. And you can feel the anger and they've, they have a history of violence. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking about it a little bit differently, but you know, I'm going to guess this is, this is a, it's, it's a good kid most of the time, you know, probably, you know, follows the rules and, you know, doesn't want to hurt a fly. And, but the thoughts are so strong and have been built up. And so you kind of start to believe it, but it's just so out of character. And um, this is again, what's a perfect example of why just reasoning with the thought uh, is, is ultimately bound to fail. Like this kid's is like, Oh my, I'm so convinced by it. And even the parents starts are like, maybe it's not OCD, but if we test it, if we intentionally set up an exposure or an exercise in which like, Oh, well, let's see what happens. Your mom's just going to stand there. And then you're, you know, you're going to push your mom or you're going to punch her in the arm or something, which again, as I'm saying, it sounds so ridiculous. Like when would you ever, right. But Not like, <laughs> okay, right. You're like, I hear it all the time. I just told someone to do that this minute. But, um, right. It's like the kid's probably not going to be able to do it. Right. Uh, they're going to come face to face with the reality of these thoughts do not line up with actual uh, desire and intention. And that's going to start to decrease anxiety. It's like, okay, maybe I'm not this horrible monster who wants to harm his parents uh, or her parents or their parents. Yeah. Yeah. So, if if a parent like brings their child to you or like anyone and then you do exposures in your office are they good to go do they just have to do an appointment and then like you know come back in a couple of weeks and do another exposure how does right. it typically work yeah no i mean we make a distinction the terms we use right is sort of in vivo things we do live together um and then things that you can do at home and sometimes that's something that you imagine imaginal exposure as homework where you're picturing yourself actually doing something undesirable, stabbing someone, hurting someone, pushing someone off a bridge, saying something blasphemous, right? Um, or actually practicing that, right? Where I'll, you know, in fact, I would, I would make the case that's, you know, we demonstrated and we sort of set a baseline together in person and we sort of have, you have the therapist to, or myself or you to kind of talk it through and debrief. And to really hammer home the conceptualization, this is what we need to do as counterintuitive as it seems, this is what we need, need to do to get better. But ultimately, you're the one carrying the torch. You, you've got to do the work outside of here. And the more you can do that, the more frequently you can do the exercise, write out the bad word, say the bad word, you know, say something mean to someone else that, you know, the parent that we have as part of the treatment, the, the better you're going to get and the sooner you're going to get better. Um, yeah. because you're, you're experiencing the, the, the source of distress rather than avoiding it. Yeah. And I think with OCD, I agree with you, um, more than any other, but they're all important, but with OCD, like in, in parent involvement and doing exposures at home on a daily basis, yeah. it's so key. I feel like I'm a robot when I say over and over again to parents, like you can't like not do something in between appointments and right. expect any sort of change. It's right. You know, and I like the way you said, like, I'm, I don't know exactly how you just said it, but like you're modeling it and you're showing them as you're doing it in the office more so they can look at the context of it and, and understand the nuances of doing exposures so that they can go home and do it themselves. And I know having a son with OCD myself as a mom and not a therapist, like the work is at home, you know, when I'm constantly doing exposures with him or in the moment when it pops up. Sure. Uh, I just want to drill that home. <laughs> it's probably how, you know, our, our kids' teachers feel, right? Like, okay, so we're going to teach the stuff to your kids. 
um, on, in the classroom and we have all these different ways of, of educating and conveying information so that it sticks. But, you know, <laughs> at least, especially for younger kids, like, you know, there's work that's going to need, need to be done at home and parental involvement is going to be key. At some point that scaffolds off and hopefully the kid's self-motivated, right, as a, as a teen or, or sooner in some cases or later in other cases, <laughs> right? As, um, it's, it's a similar thing. It's like if we're meeting with someone for 45 minutes or, or an hour a week or every two weeks or whatever, like there's a whole lot of time that happens in between, right, where OCD can continue to do its thing if we're not pushing back on it. So parents really need to get that if, if they really want to help their kids. So. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think education yeah. and becoming an expert on OCD yourself is really good. Yeah. All right, so before we wrap up, I thought maybe we can go into a few different like subsets of OCD and what exposures would look like. So because sometimes parents will get the whole ERP thing and then I'll get a lot of emails and Facebook comments of, but what would it look like for this? Or what would it, and it's funny, most of the time it's what would it look like for moral OCD? And to me, I'm like, that one's the obvious one, mm-hmm. but I don't think it is to most people. So we can start with moral and then we can just pick some different like little subtypes. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, obviously even under moral OCD that can vary based on circumstance yeah. and what, what, what's causing the anxiety, you know, for folks who, um, you know, have a more, sort of structured uh, religious worldview or religious practice, right? There can be this, the idea that, you know, if I don't say, you know, for, for folks from a Catholic faith, if I don't say the rosary uh, a specific way in a certain number of times, and it's got to feel right, otherwise it does, doesn't count with, with God or, or whoever, right? And so, oh, wait, okay, said it again. Okay, that was, wait, but did I say it? Oh, I've got to say it again, right? And, and so in a situation, or, or, you know, I've got to pray, uh, a certain way or, or pray a certain number of times or, you know, read a certain, read a, a passage of scripture. Um, and then this one, and, and then there's just a, there's a formula to it. Um, and so, you know, I would want someone to disrupt that formula, if you will. It's like, well, what if you just didn't read it today? Or what if you read a different passage? Or what if you read them out of order? Or what if you, you know, purposely said the rosary in a, in a disjointed way on purpose, right? It just, just messing up the rigid, uh, formulaic way of doing things, which uh, ultimately I don't know that that's even consistent with the worldview or, or religious practice to begin with. Yeah. And I think it's good for people to hear because especially when, when we get into religion, I think parents have to understand why we're doing that so that they understand our intentions. And so they don't feel like we're religiously disrespecting them for sure. when we do things like that. Cause I'll often tell parents, you know, when, praying is a compulsion, I'll say, well, come up with a structured time of when you pray, you know, maybe beginning like in the morning and at night and that's it. And they're kind of like some parents who don't understand OCD will say, you're telling me that my child can't pray when they're Mm -hmm. having an upsetting thought, you know, and it's understanding they're not praying to God at that point. They're praying to OCD. So I think God understands that. The God of OCD. The God of OCD. Yeah. Well, and another way to phrase it would be to say that um, we're not saying that that your child can't pray to God if they're dealing with distress of some kind. Um, but it may be that for a time that we are asking them to do that uh, because this thing has become its own, grown its own teeth. And we need to kind of beat back and pare down this OCD. And that means, that may mean uh, at least for a period holding off and, you know, maybe cultivating one's relationship with one's faith or higher being in a different kind of way right? Than, than just praying, if you will, or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. taking it beyond, you know, you know, structured, uh, you know, practiced religion. I mean, definitely you probably see people as well who, who don't identify with a particular faith or worldview, but still that like, they just want to be good people. Right. <laughs> and, and believe themselves to be good people. So why, you know, why is it that if, you know, I heard a story on the news or I read something on Instagram about, you know, a, a murder somewhere. And then I just had this thought that I could, I could do that. What, 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 like that person thought they were a good person at some point, And then somehow they got to the point where they were willing to do that. What if that happened to me? What, you know, I got mad at my friend the other day. What, what would stop me from doing it? I don't want to now, but what if, right? Okay. And, that's a good one. So then yeah. what would the exposure be for that? Yeah. Similar thing, right? It's like, well, I mean, I think depending on how the person's describing it, um, I, I would have them maybe start with picturing hurting the person or saying something bad or, or again, um, confronting personally being the person that they don't want to be. Um, I mean, it depends on the relationship with the friend and how old the kid is. I might not necessarily, uh, I mean, I suppose in some cases you can involve a friend and say, Hey, this is something we're doing. And you know, your, your friend, your, the client is going to say something or do something kind of mean. And you have to know that that's just part of the treatment, if you will. Um, I mean, I suppose that's not outside the realm of possibility. It could, could, could be helpful, but you know, you have to be, you know, depending on the kid and the relationship, if that's something that's safe to do. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. parents shouldn't be afraid to, you know, with the help of an OCD therapist, if they can access one, you know, be creative, you know? So, I mean, you can start with a story. I always tell parents, you can start with a story, you know, imaginal scripts are always an easy place to start. Yeah. But I mean, the, the cool thing about ERP, if you want to think of it as cool is like the more creative, the better. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some, That's where it gets some fun. yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of like being a little chef an OCD chef. So you can, I mean, I've had people who love acting and I've had mm -hmm. one girl, I mean, she, yeah. she acted out, she had a lot of um, self-harm intrusive thoughts. She definitely was not suicidal. And she, you know, she made a little video with ketchup and everything, you know, wow. acting out her, um, her demise. Wow. And it, it was, it was comical on some level, but she would just watch it over and over as an exposure. Yeah. And that was her own idea. Like that super was helpful. Creative. Yeah, sure. So, or you can even, I suppose, if it, if it was a, an unwanted thought towards somebody else, like I sort of alluded to that earlier, like as therapists, we can role play. Like pretend I'm your friend who you had a bad thought about stabbing in the back or punching in the face or, or calling a bad name, even if you don't want to do those things, right? And like, okay, so, all right. So tell me to, tell me to screw off. Tell me, yeah. you know, point your, point your finger in, in, you know, going back a bit, like point your finger to the sky and say, God, you know, screw you. I don't believe in you. You're, you're fake. Right? Yeah. All things I've had people do. So. Yeah. And you can yeah. get creative. You know, I like all that and you can record that. Um, right. Amazon has an amazing amount of stuff. Um, I've gotten FU socks, um, <laughs> the middle finger t-shirts. I even got like just recently, it's almost like a little side hobby to find weird stuff on Amazon, but I got like beer soap and wine soap. Um, for those with moral OCD, it, it doesn't, I don't know if it has like hops in it or whatever, but it's, it's okay to bathe in, you know, so. It's a little you, great what you're buying just for your own personal pleasure and what you're doing <laughs> work purposes. Yeah. Oh, it's totally disturbing. You can buy fake pot online. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can buy real pot around here now. <laughs> yeah, well, you're in California. So. Yeah, you're in California, so. Yeah. 
So I think getting creative. So let's just touch on a few other um, kind of like OCD subtypes real quick before we wrap up. Um, what about the other ones I get often are like just right OCD. People don't know how they can do exposures around that. Yeah. And I mean, again, that can take on so many different forms. Are you yeah. thinking of something specific or like um, objects or doing something a particularly rigid way or. Yeah. Let me think of one. Um, like what if just thinking about my own practice, like someone had to touch a, a keyboard until it felt just right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what it's, it's, I mean, you know, long story short, I mean, I think, I think of it similarly to uh, the disrupting the, the need for uh, doing something a certain way or having it feel a certain way. So what if we touched it with a different finger or touched a different key or touched it a certain amount of times that was different from the one that it's got to be? Or yeah, if you touched it and it didn't feel right, like, okay, can we sit with that? Can we tolerate that? Right. Yeah. And um you know, there's a, there's a lot spoken, you and I may know the term teretic OCD, right? Where it's, it's just a, it, sometimes it's just a feeling of it's not correct. It's not that I believe that if I didn't do it a certain way, that something bad will happen to myself or somebody else. So that makes me a bad person. It just, ugh, it's like a hair I've got to pull out or a, a tick or something I've got to do. And so that's can be tricky in a different kind of way. But uh, in some ways, it's a similar thing of just building up tolerance and this kind of mental and behavioral muscle of like I don't have to do that every yeah. time I can I can if it's if my papers on my desk are are not lined up perfectly if I don't walk up and down the stairs in a two up one down three up one down you know very specific way if I don't wash specifically seven times if I don't tap you know with a certain number of fingers right that is is that okay? Can I tolerate that feeling and that discomfort? And it'll be tough, but just like anything, the more times we do it, 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 it gets easier. To get yeah. And I think, you know, I think if you gamify it on any level, kids love to gamify things. And so if they're competitive, making it a contest, you know, yeah. how long can you go hit your timer yeah. on your phone? You know, you went four hours without doing it. Yeah. Then you earn a ticket and you get a prize, you know, yes. <laughs> I think yeah. whatever you can think creatively as a parent, Sure. And I think don't wait for the therapist to do it because not every therapist sure. is going to do it. You could totally do this at home and make it fun. Mm, um, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kids, there's not, not a thing they do that's not earning a ticket, you know, for an exposure so that they're earning their video games. You know, here's a ticket for that. You know, they yeah. want to do exposures because they are always wanting things. And so. Nice. So you have, they have, they have them, you have them doing all sorts of weird things that other kids would not always <laughs> Why does your kid have like, you know, tickets for, you know, holding a knife behind your back? <laughs> it gets concerning. <laughs> like, There's reasons you know, for it, right? Yeah, sure. When my kid is, when my daughter is telling her like teacher or whatever, you know, my mom put pee on me today and, <laughs> like, and I earned a ticket. Keep that, at like, home. You keep that at home, honey, right? Some yeah. things are just for us. <laughs> exactly. The pee on you is just between us. Yeah. yeah. So it can get weird, but mm -hmm. it's okay. So where would you recommend people look for, um, well, let's start with you, anyone in California, how can they reach you or learn more about your practice? Yeah, I mean, so uh, like I said, our practice is called CBT SoCal. So that's our uh, website. If we have, you know, blogs and some podcasts and other things too that are, you know, resources and content, if anyone wants to poke around there, um, we're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
uh, and we'll put up some video at some point as well too. Haven't gotten there as, as far as, as you have, Natasha. Um, in time. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. In time, yeah, we'll get there. Um, more broadly speaking, yeah, I mean, there's um, OCD SoCal, which is the sort of our local chapter of uh, sort of both providers, but also OCD sufferers and, and activists that is part of the International OCD Foundation. Um, and so there's a lot of resources and a lot of the other OCD specialists in our area, all the way from, you know, north of LA down to San Diego, we kind of have an annual conference and get together and, and uh, have things like that. Um, Anyone can also always look at the IOCDF website, International OCD Foundation. There's a lot of great resources there, and you can search for providers in your area. Um, and I mean, I think you speaking to something you said earlier is, you know, you might find someone searching for you know OCD specialist or exposure with response prevention ERP specialist in one's area as well. Uh, I think if you look for someone who does CBT, um, you're going to get a lot wider of a net um, because I would venture to think most, if not all therapists have had some exposure to CBT, at least in grad school, but they haven't necessarily had sort of formal training and experience doing CBT, let alone ERP, as we said earlier, which is sort of an even more specialized subset under the CBT umbrella that's targeted towards OCD. So um, I, I think that's just something to be on the lookout. That's not to say that other therapists can't be helpful for other things, but for OCD, we, we, you know, you want to connect with the right people. Yeah, I think it's super yeah. important because you just want to get the right language and the right treatment. So I will leave links below um, for your practice and um, your blog and your podcast so people can reach you. Sure. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate like sitting back and chatting with you. Thank you. I'll let us know if we can be of help in any other way. I hope you guys enjoyed Martin's insight and his guidance. I enjoyed talking to him. Thought he was really helpful in expressing and explaining different concepts and ideas that I think are so important for parents to hear. So you can check out Martin's website at cbtsocal.com. That's cbtsocal.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And he was also kind enough to stick around and do a special video just for the AT parenting community on insomnia and sleep issues in kids. So if you are part of the AT parenting community, you definitely want to go to our member website and check out the new video that Martin did with me. And he gives some really good tips on sleep as well. If you're not in the AT parenting community, what are you waiting for? Come and join us. You can learn more about it at atparentingcommunity.com. So if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes so you can rate the show. That's a really easy and helpful way to give back. And if you have a few extra moments and you can leave a review, that is even more awesome or awesomeness. I don't think that's a word. And I always like to show my appreciation and gratitude to those people that take the time to share what they're getting from my show by reading one of the reviews. So Coco Evie wrote, Natasha's podcast and videos have been so helpful in conf confronting and treating my eight-year-old daughter's moralistic OCD. We live in an area with no resources. When she was diagnosed, we were at a loss at what to do. We pursued treatment from an OCD specialist because of Natasha's information, and now she has shown so much progress. Also, as a parent, I find so much guidance from Natasha in dealing with being a parent to a child with OCD. There is so much that she explains about OCD and how it affects parenting that I find her information invaluable. Thank you so much. 
Well, I am really happy to hear that getting my information from my podcast has led you to pursuing treatment from an OCD specialist, because I know that there's a lot of people who listen out there who, one, don't realize that they're dealing with OCD, and two, when they do, they don't have access to resources. And so that is a big part of why I spread all this information and knowledge and resources to you guys, because as a mom, not just a therapist, but a mom to a child with OCD, I get it and I get how hard it can be. So I hope that you guys have a wonderful day and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. When I first discovered Natasha, I was in a desperate place with my son and his anxiety was getting worse and we had tried counseling and it was not going well. Natasha gave us practical tools. She wasn't like the books that we had read that were, you know, you have three kids, but somehow you can magically spend 10 hours a day on your one anxious kid and just, you know, life is great for the other two. She's helped me understand OCD on a level that no therapist I have come across seems to understand. Natasha had practical real-life advice that we started implementing the day that we listened to them. Not only did it help with our son's anxiety, it helped my husband and I recognize um, the anxiety that we had in our parenting that was actually contributing to our children's anxiety. Her tools are, I mean, life-changing. She has been amazing, and I'm so thankful for the work that she provides to all of us who have children um, who battle anxiety and OCD. It is so exciting to see him about a year later just thriving in school. She really has guided us the whole way, and without her, our lives would be very different. We're very grateful. My husband and I are forever grateful to Natasha Daniels for helping us to figure out where to even start with anxiety. If you have a child with anxiety or OCD, she is your go-to woman. Parenting a child with anxiety is not easy, and sometimes it feels hopeless. And um, in a desperate time in my journey with my son, I started searching the internet and found Natasha Daniels. She has been a lifesaver. Her resources have given me hope. They've given me tools and support, and I. I highly recommend her and her resources. They are phenomenal and they are some of the best resources you can find out there for anxiety and OCD. Hi, my name is Natasha Daniels and I understand what it's like to raise kids with anxiety and OCD. I'm doing it every single day. And I also know what it feels like to empower them, to give them the skills and tools to help themselves, to watch them blossom face their fears, and become more than their anxiety and more than their OCD. And I want to do that for you as well. Join me in the AT Parenting Community, where I partner with you and walk alongside you in your journey, helping you getting to know your family and your child's particular needs and particular struggles. I'll help guide you and walk you through ways to empower your own kids and see success in your house. You will finally have someone in your corner who not only has the understanding of your struggle, but has the expertise and knowledge to help get you through it. You can find out more about the AT Parenting Community at atparentingcommunity.com or you can text all one word AT Parenting Community to 44222. Together we can do this.
she's really good and I hope that I'll be like her. I have had OCD for over five years. I have trained my brain and you can do the same thing.